Chapter 20 Difficulties in Front, Enemies Behind Let us therefore fear, lest, a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Hebrews 4 1. No doubt the children of Israel supposed that all of their big troubles were over. The Egyptians had sent them away, pleading with them to depart and loading them with riches. Terror had smitten the heart of Egypt, for from the king on the throne to the prisoner in the dungeon all was dismay and fear on account of Israel. Egypt was glad for them when they departed. Therefore the children of Israel said among themselves, We will now march to Canaan at once. There will be no more dangers, no more troubles, and no more trials. The Egyptians themselves have sent us away, and they are too much afraid of us ever to trouble us again. Now we will walk through the desert with hurried footsteps, and when a few more days have passed, we will enter into the land of our possession, the land that flows with milk and honey. Not quite so speedily, said God. The time has not yet arrived for you to rest. It is true that I have delivered you from Egypt, but there is much you have to learn before you will be prepared to dwell in Canaan. Therefore I will lead you around and will instruct and teach you. The Lord led the children of Israel around, through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, until they arrived at Baal-Ziphon, where the craggy mountains shut them in on both sides. Pharaoh heard of it, and he came upon them to overcome them. The Israelites stood in terrible fright and jeopardy of their lives. This is how it usually is with the believer. He marches out of Egypt spiritually at the time of his conversion, and he says to himself, Now I will always be happy. He has a bright eye and a light heart, for his chains have been dashed to the ground, and he no longer feels the lash of conscience upon his shoulder. Now, he says, I may have a short life, but it will be a happy one. A few more rolling years at most will land me on fair Canaan's coast. The Israelites had a great trial sent by God Himself. The Red Sea was there in front of them. It was not an enemy that put the sea there, but it was God Himself. We may therefore think that the Red Sea represents some great and trying providence that the Lord will be sure to place in the path of every newborn child of God in order to test His faith and to test the sincerity of His trust in God. I don't know whether your experience will back up mine, but I can say that the worst difficulty I ever met with, or think I can ever meet with, happened a little time after my conversion to God. You must generally expect, very soon after you have been brought to know and love Him, that you will have some great, broad, deep Red Sea right before your path, which you will hardly know how to pass. Sometimes it will occur in the family. The husband says, for example, if he is an ungodly man, You will not attend such and such a place of worship. I absolutely forbid you to be baptized or join that church. There is a Red Sea before you. You have done nothing wrong. It is God Himself who places that Red Sea before your path. Maybe before you were converted, you were carrying on a business that you cannot now conscientiously continue. And there is a Red Sea that you have to cross in renouncing your means of livelihood. You don't see how it is to be done. You don't know how you are to provide for yourself and to provide things honest in the sight of all men. 
Romans 12:17. Maybe your employment caused you to be among people with whom you lived before on friendly terms, and now they suddenly say, Come on, won't you do as you used to do? There again is a Red Sea before you. It is a hard struggle. You don't want to come out and say, I cannot and I will not, for I am a Christian. You stand still, half afraid to go forward. Maybe it's something that comes more directly from God. You find that just when He plants a vine in your heart, He causes all the vines in your vineyard to wilt. When He plants you in His own garden, it is then that He uproots all your comforts and your joys. Just when the sun of righteousness is rising upon you, your own little candle is blown out. Just when you seem to need it most, your gourd is withered, your prosperity departs, and your abundance begins to decline. It may not be so with all of you, but I think that most of God's people have not long escaped the bondage of Egypt before they find some terrible rolling sea battered about by tempestuous winds directly in their path. They stand in dread and say, O God, how can I bear this? I thought I could give up all for you, but now I feel as if I could do nothing. I thought I would be in heaven and everything would be easy, but here is a sea I cannot cross. There are no ships to carry me across. It's not bridged even by your mercy. I must swim it, or else I am afraid that I will perish. The children of Israel would not have cared about the Red Sea a single bit if they had not been terrified by the Egyptians who were behind them. These Egyptians, I think, may be interpreted by way of parable as the representatives of those sins that we thought were completely dead and gone. For a little while after conversion, sin does not trouble a Christian. He is very happy and cheerful in knowing he is forgiven. However, before many days are passed, he will understand what Paul said, I find then a law that, when I would do good, evil is present with me. Romans 7.21 The first moment after he obtains his liberty, he laughs and leaps in an ecstasy of joy. He thinks, Oh, I will soon be in heaven. As for sin, I can trample that beneath my feet. But nearly before another Lord's day has gladdened his spirit, he finds that sin is too much for him. The old corruptions that he thought were laid in their graves rise up and begin again, and he begins to cry, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Romans 7.24. He sees all his old sins pursuing him like Pharaoh and his host pursued the Israelites to the borders of the Red Sea. There is a great trial before him. He thinks that he could bear that. He thinks that he could walk through the Red Sea. But those Egyptians are behind him. He thought he would have never seen them again. They were the plague and torment of his life when they made him work in the brick kiln. He sees his old master, the very man who used to lay the lash on his shoulders, riding quickly after him. There are the eyes of that dark Pharaoh flashing like fire in the distance. He sees the horrid, scowling face of a tyrant, and he trembles. Satan is after him, and all the legions of hell seem to be let loose, if possible, to utterly destroy his soul. Moreover, at such a time, our sins are more disturbing to us than they were before they were forgiven. Because when we were in Egypt, 
We never saw the Egyptians mounted on horses or in chariots. They only appeared as our taskmasters with their whips. Now, though, these people see the Egyptians on horseback, clad in armor. They behold all the mighty men of valor coming out with their warlike instruments to slay them. These poor children of Israel had such faint hearts. They no sooner saw the Egyptians than they began to cry out. When they saw the Red Sea before them, they murmured against their deliverer. A faint heart is the worst enemy a Christian can have. While he keeps his faith firm, while the anchor is secured deep in the rock, he never needs to fear the storm. But when the hand of faith has no strength, or when the eye of faith is dim, things will be difficult with us. As for the Egyptian, he may throw his spear. As long as we can catch it in our shield of faith, we are not terrified by the weapon. But if we lose our faith, the spear becomes a deadly dart. While we have faith, the Red Sea may flow before us as deep and as dark as it pleases. For like Leviathan, we trust we can empty the Jordan River in one drink. However, if we have no faith, then at the most insignificant trickling stream, which faith could take up in her hands in a single moment and drink like Gideon's men, poor unbelief stands quivering and crying, Ah, I will be drowned in the floods, or I will be slain by the foe. There is no hope for me. I am driven to despair. It would have been better for me that I had died in Egypt than that I would come here to be slain by the hand of the enemy. When the child of God is firstborn, he has very little faith because he has had very little experience. He has not tested the promise, and therefore he doesn't know its faithfulness. He has not used the arm of faith, and therefore the muscles of it have not become strong. Let him live a little longer and become strengthened in the faith, and he will not care about Red Seas, nor even about the Egyptians. Now, though, his little heart beats against the walls of his body, and he laments, Ah, me! Ah, me! O wretched man that I am! How will I ever find deliverance? Cheer up, then, heir of grace! What is your trial? Has providence brought it upon you? If so, unerring wisdom will deliver you from it. What is it you are now dismayed by? As truly as you are alive, God will remove it. Do you think God's cloudy pillar would ever lead you to a place where God's right arm would fail you? Do you imagine that He would ever guide you into such a canyon that He couldn't lead you out again? The providence that apparently misleads will in actuality support you. That which leads you into difficulties guards you against your foes. It casts darkness on your sins while it gives light to you. How sweet providence is to a child of God when he can reflect upon it. He can look out into this world and say, No matter how great my troubles are, they are not as great as my Father's power. No matter how difficult my circumstances may be, yet all things around me are working together for good. He who holds up the unpillared arch of the starry heavens can also support my soul without a single apparent support. He who guides the stars in their well-ordered courses, even when they seem to dance around the sky, can certainly overrule my trials in such a way that He will bring order out of confusion, and will produce lasting good from seeming evil.
He who bridles the storm and puts the bit in the mouth of a tempest can certainly restrain my trial and keep my sorrows in subjection. I do not need to fear while the lightnings are in his hands, the thunders sleep within his lips, the oceans gurgle from his fist, the clouds are in the hollow of his hands, the rivers are turned by his foot, and he digs the channels of the sea. Surely he who gives angels their wings can furnish a worm with strength. He who guides a cherub will not be overcome by the trials of an ant like myself. He who makes the largest planet glide in dignity and keep its predestined orbit can make a little atom like myself move in my proper course and direct me as he pleases. Christian, there is no sweeter pillow than providence, and when providence seems unfavorable, believe it still. Place it under your head, for you can depend upon it that there is comfort in its arms. There is hope for you, child of God. That great trouble that is to come your way in the early part of your pilgrimage is planned by love, the same love that will intervene as your protector. The children of Israel had another refuge. They knew that they were the covenant people of God, and that even though they were in difficulties, God had brought them there, and therefore God, let me say it with reverence, was bound in honor to bring them out of that trouble into which He had brought them. Well, says the child of God, I know I am in a difficulty, but I also know that I did not come out of Egypt by myself. I know that He brought me out. I know that I did not escape by my own power or slay my firstborn sins myself. I know that He did it. Even though I fled from a tyrant, I know that God made my feet mighty for travel, for there was not one feeble person in all our tribes. I know that even though I am at the Red Sea, I did not run there uncalled, but He directed me to go there. Therefore, I give my fears to the winds. If He has led me here into this difficulty, He will lead me out, and He will lead me through. The third refuge that the children of Israel had was in a man, and without him neither of the two others would have been of any avail. It was the man Moses. He did everything for them. Your greatest refuge, O child of God, in all your trials is in a man, not in Moses, but in Jesus, not in the servant, but in the master. He is interceding for you, unseen and unheard by you, even as Moses did for the children of Israel. If in the dim distance you could catch the sweet syllables of his voice as they distill from his lips and see his heart as it speaks for you, you would take comfort. For God hears that man when he pleads. He can overcome every difficulty. He doesn't have a rod but a cross that can divide the Red Sea. Not only does he have a cloudy pillar of forgiving grace that can dim the eyes of your enemies and keep them at a distance, but he also has a cross that can open the Red Sea and drown your sins in the very midst. He will not leave you. Look, he stands over there on that rock of heaven with his cross in hand, even as Moses stood with his rod. Cry to Jesus, for with that uplifted cross he will open a path for you and will guide you through the sea. He will make those foamy floods, which had been friends forever, stand asunder like enemies. Call to him, and he will make you a way in the midst of the ocean and a path through the pathless sea. 
Cry to Him, and there will not be a sin of yours left alive. He will sweep them all away, and the king of sin, the devil, will also be overwhelmed beneath the Saviour's blood, while you sing, Hell and my sins obstruct my path, but hell and sin are conquered foes. My Jesus nailed them to His cross and sang the triumph as He rose.